0: Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church, a virtual church. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open up to Mark chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Again, I want to give a huge thank you to Cross Connection Church for making this available to us, for Isaac and Don, and, and Robert, who who greeted us this morning. We're grateful for all of them uh, serving us in this way. Uh, one last announcement. Today is Palm Sunday, Next, which means the next Sunday is uh, Easter, which the Friday before Easter is always Good Friday. It just works out that way. And so a bit of homework for you all to do have this week. I've said it in the Gunner Grams a few times, but through the Gunner Grams, I will lead us in communion for the Good Friday service. So um, this week, go ahead and, and find yourself provisions, uh, grape juice and various things, uh, bread or crackers, um, so that you can participate with us uh, for um, Good Friday. I believe we're going to do that like we do these videos, and I'm pretty sure that we'll do it at the scheduled time that we had for Friday uh, at 6 p.m. So stay tuned for the Gunner's Grams, and we'll keep you posted on that front. Uh, With that, let's pray, and we'll get into our text for today. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Mark. Father, we ask that you would uh, lead us, Father, as we work through this uh, continuing story of the Passion Week. Father, help us to see uh, you clearly uh, through these passages, through this story in particular, uh, where Jesus is challenged um, yet again. And Father, we ask that you would help us as we navigate this passage, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. But teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought him one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this passage. We ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So to orientate us to this this passage, this section where we find ourselves, uh, if we were to go back to the beginning of Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, we would see the triumphal entry, the uh, Palm Sunday, which today is. Jesus makes his entry on the colt. He has the support of the populace. The people of Israel are rejoicing at his coming. They have been waiting for their Messiah. And so they are very excited about his arrival into Jerusalem. Um, Moving from there in verses 12 through 26, We have the lesson of the fig tree, which sort of bookends the story of Jesus going into the temple and kicking over chairs and tables and stopping the commerce that was happening there. And he scolded them for um, turning his father's house into uh, this den of robbers when it should have been a house of prayer. We uh, worked our way to the next day last week, and Jesus enters the temple. And as he enters the temple... He's confronted by the Sanhedrin, and they're challenging his authority. By, by what authority is he doing these things, disrupting the flow of life uh, during this time of celebration? Uh, we left them in verse 12, uh, where we read, And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and they went on. So as Jesus was confronted about his authority, he said, you answer me this one question and I'll answer you where my authority comes from. And he tells the, the parable of the vineyard and how the, the those that were leasing the, the vineyard had killed all of these people, symbolic of the prophets and how Israel had killed all of the prophets that came along. And then the, the owner sends his son. And so th- they knew... That they he, they were speaking of Jesus and their plan and what they were doing and so they are they're furious and today their plan comes together or or begins to come together they're going to send a series of waves um, over the last few weeks and we've been in this shutdown mode where we've been sort of isolated in the house I've been thinking to myself oh we should we should get somebody that has musical talent to rewrite the song "Those Canaan Days" from "Fiddler on the Roof," and, and to to put the lines that fit for the things that we're going through. Uh, I find that my family we keep uh, sort of reminiscing over our time in Spain. That we were in Spain from February 27th or January 27th to February uh, somewhere in the middle of the month. Who knows what day it is? But but right as this whole thing was ramping up with the coronavirus. And so we look at the pictures and, and we go, oh, those were the good old days. We could go out and we could socialize and, you know, toilet paper and paper towels were readily available. And w- during the shutdown, one of the treats we've been giving to our boys is letting them watch the Tom and Jerry show. Uh, they've never watched the Tom and Jerry show until we get to Spain. And in Spain, uh, while we were in the apartment, uh, Tom and Jerry's available in Spanish. And it was so funny for us to hear from the other room our boys belly laughing over the antics of Tom and Jerry and all of the things that they were they were doing and there 's not much speaking in Tom and Jerry, and what little there is you can figure out uh, by what 's happening and The reason I bring this up is we 're about to enter into a, a a series through the rest of of Mark chapter twelve and a little bit into thirteen of this whole cat and mouse game with Jesus. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to, 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 to sort of lead him in a way that he would find himself in, in a pickle, a true dilemma where he can't answer um, their questions, and ultimately that they would be able to take him into custody and execute him. Uh, so with that, let's look at our passage. verse uh, Right here in verse 13, we read... Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. And so the first thing we encounter is that they, and when we see this they throughout this passage, we're going to see the word they multiple times. As you're studying your Bible, it's very important to to sort of trace back um, who the they is or to identify who's being spoken of. And so if you were to start working your way back, you'll hit the word they a whole bunch of times. And you'll have to go all the way to chapter 11, verse 27, to identify who the they is in this passage. And in verse 27, we read, Then they, uh, they came to Jerusalem. That's not the they we're talking of. And he was walking into the temple, and the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. So when he approached the temple and he went in, he was confronted about his authority by this group of three characters, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. This is the Sanhedrin. It was a group of 70 individuals plus one for 71, and the one additional person was uh, the chief priest. It was composed largely of the Sadducees, who were sort of the religious uh, liberal ones, which we'll see next week as, as they confront Jesus about the, the resurrection. Uh, there was the Pharisees, who there were less of them, but the Pharisees composed—they they, they were like the blue-collar, uh, conservative, religious ones. They, they believed in the miracles of the Scriptures. And so this is the they uh, that we read about in verse 13. So they, the Sanhedrin, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. And so here we see the, the Pharisees and the Herodians. The last time we've seen these two people working together, or these two groups of people, we go all the way back to Mark chapter 3, verse 6, and there up in the Galilee, uh, Jesus basically upsets them. They, they leave, and we're told there that the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him, that's Jesus, as how they might destroy him. And so the, these are strange bedfellows. These are these are two groups that 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 hated each other. The Pharisees were extremely religious. The Herodians were were not religious at all. They were on the opposite end of of the scale. The Herodians loved the law of Rome. They supported Rome. The Pharisees cared about the law of God. They viewed um, the the Romans as as occupiers of of the land that God has given them, and deep, deep hatred. Uh, Thinking about this in sort of modern terms, this would be like um, a Tea Party individual showing up with a red uh, Make America Great hat again with a Bernie Sanders supporters, working together, coming to Jesus for the sake of creating some sort of, uh, what we see here as a trap. So this is the polarization can't be over, overstated this these people did not like each other but they needed each other in order to trap jesus um, the the reason for that is uh with the uh, uh Palm Sunday I 'm searching for that word here, uh, as Palm Sunday was happening, we see all of the people there's the, the population supported Jesus, they were eager, and we saw in verse twelve um, that they wanted to seize Jesus, the Sanhedrin, but they were afraid of the population because if they seized Jesus while the popularity for him was still strong, they could cause a riot, and then that would create problems with Rome. Now the Herodians, uh, they could seize Jesus, and and they could uh, use the power of Rome in order to execute them. And so they were using each other. This word to trap Jesus is the idea of hunting. It's the um, it's only used here in the New Testament, and and it's the idea of setting up a trap or going out and hunting uh, small uh, animals. Um, I have to be careful here. I realize that through this venue. Um, doing these online sermons, which we don't normally do, we are inviting people from the outside world into Valley Center. And so if you're not from Valley Center, forgive me for the illustration I'm going to use, but for those of us in Valley Center, there are certain animals that we detest, like squirrels and, uh, and gophers. And there's a wonderful trap called the squirrel nader. And so you set out this trap, you can put in some, uh, some, some chicken scratch, and you can attract the gopher or the, the squirrels in there. There's other tools for gophers that you can track them. And so the whole purpose of these is to get the animal into the cage so that you can deal with them. And I'll leave it with that for you city folks that may be watching. But the purpose is the same. This whole trap, they're trying to, to, to lure Jesus in, to, to get him to say something that will get him into trouble with either the populace or with Rome. Really, he needed to get in trouble with both because the, the Sanhedrin didn't have the authority to execute him. Rome had that authority. So they they had these, these two problems that they needed both to, to happen in order to execute Jesus. And so they, the Sanhedrin, got... These two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, to come together. Now, verse 14, we read they. This is the new they. Now this they is dealing with the Pharisees and the Herodians. They came and they said to him, teacher. So right away, they hated him. For them to use this term teacher, it meant rabbi. This meant that they were speaking to somebody in authority. By using the term teacher, they were humbling themselves before him. They were uh, elevating him in a sense um, and putting themselves on this lower platform. Hard pill for them to swallow. Uh, And it's going to get worse when they say, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial in any. To any, but teach the way of God in truth. Uh, in Luke, chapter 20, uh, Luke says that they said that he taught correctly, which is a, a word that we get orthodox or even orthodontics. It means to straighten out something that was uh, crooked. So they basically come and say, you're, you're a straight shooter. You don't care about what people think about you. You just care about the truth, and you're going to answer our question correctly, truthfully, regardless of any sort of implications. And so they get to their question. And they ask him, is it lawful to pay a poll tax or not? There was all sorts of taxes, and they were all to Caesar. And this was extremely explosive. Uh, this was something that the Jewish people, they hated Rome. They, they hated being under, uh, under their authority. They, they had to give them their taxes, and, and th- they were unwelcome there. And so they say, shall we pay or shall we not pay? And so they, they feel like they have Jesus in a pickle, a, a, a real um, a real fork that if Jesus answers yes, he, they're in tr- he's in trouble. If he answers no, they're in trouble. They deliver a question. Now, I remember the first question that they came up with, they, it was an open-ended question. By whose authority are you doing this? It was open-ended. Jesus could go any different direction with them. But they thought through this, and they say, ah, we'll answer a question that he just needs to answer yes or no. This is the worst kind of question for a Bible study leader. You, When you ask a question, somebody just says no, yes. We want discussion, and so we want more open-ended questions. But for this situation, they think, ah, we got him. We got him right where we want him. He, ha- he The only answer is yes or no. If Jesus answers yes, they have the Pharisees right there Present to, to basically testify against him, to go to the people, the, the populace, who it was an abomination for a Jew to pay these taxes. They hated it. And so they would begin to sway the population away from Jesus so there wouldn't be this riot if they took him into custody. Um, to answer no, they have the Herodians there, who they were loyal to Rome. If, if Jesus says no, they would begin to run to Pilate, who was in town for the, the, the ceremony, and Herod was there also. So they could have run to both of those guys to say, listen, there's a guy, Jesus. He's saying not to pay the taxes. He's creating uh, an, an insurrection. And they had grounds for executing people that started insurrections. If we were to fast forward in the story of the early church, we would come to Acts chapter 5 and verses 36 and 37. And there when they're trying to deal with the early church, they reference two men that led an insurrection prior to Jesus, and they executed him or them, and then the whole tension just went away on its own. And so if Jesus says no which would which you think that they were thinking that this is the way he would answer that they would he would simply say no don't pay the tax then right away they could take him into custody they could make their case um, and and they could move on you could almost you could almost sense them giggling with their gotcha question we gotcha Jesus you can't answer this one you know today as we sort of navigate the coronavirus and and deal with uh, i mean listen this is our our third sunday with no corporate worship it it looks like we have at least uh, i don't want to do the math in my head right here but for those of you that go to my church you're used to me doing this but i i think we have you know four or five maybe more sundays that we're not allowed to gather and i've been amazed at the. i've never seen tension like this amongst my friends um my life is is fairly simple. I have about three general groups of friends. I have those that I went to high school with. Those typically not exclusively tend to be liberal in their thinking. I have my old seal buddies who tend to be very fiscally conservative and conservative on certain issues, uh, certainly not conservative on other issues and then I have my like Christian circles of friends who tend to be very Conservative in a lot of a lot of ways that are different from my seal buddies, and normally when issues sort of bubble up, I can tell you how each camp is going to sort of respond to each one. But the response to the coronavirus, uh, it's shocking to me how the lines on how we're to respond. So one group is like, "Hey, let's just go out there, let's just let the wave hit, and let's let's just let it rip. Like, let's just get it over with." Then you have other groups that are like. No, we need to save everybody, and we need to lock ourselves down. We need to keep doing this and, and, and ride the wave out. And the thing is, with these two different camps, they're they're not loyal to any one group. So I have my, like, high school liberal friends that are agreeing with my conservative friends. I have conservative friends that are split over this whole issue, and it's crazy. I mean, it's—I want to be cautious with the, the term. I'm—I personally am really, really torn on—, on on the one hand, I have friends who have small like small businesses that are come to a standstill, and what, what's going to happen with their livelihood? What's going to happen with the economy? These are very real things. Then on the other side, I have friends, as as you all know, that like my family has very deep relationships with those in Spain, and and hearing from Spain firsthand accounts from our friends that hey, the the, the morgues are filled up, and they're having to put bodies in ice rinks, and it's. Like, we don't know what's going on. And then I, like, come back, and I think, well, I have my 85-year-old dad, and he's the most vulnerable, and I, like, I want to protect my dad. But then at the same time, I have my dad, like, watching the stock market being locked in his little room in the assisted living facility. And he's like, let me out. I don't care if I die of the coronavirus. Let me have some freedom. I don't want the last six months or a year or however long my dad has of his life being locked up. And it's, whew, this is like a hot potato. I'm so glad I'm not in like leadership of uh, the world trying to make decisions on how to handle this. And so this sort of hot potato that we have amongst how do we handle the coronavirus, what Jesus had in this question about should we pay our taxes or not is just as big of a hot potato. And so we read, but he, knowing their hypocrisy, so Jesus is Lord. He knows the game they're playing. He knows this is a trap. But it's a real question. He engages them, nonetheless. He, he knows their hypocrisy, that they're, they're coming up to him sort of like Eddie Haskell, you know, like, Oh, good teacher, rabbi, we, we respect you. You're a straight shooter. We we care about what you have to say. We're really torn over this whole issue of paying taxes. Like, should we pay taxes or should we not pay taxes? And here Jesus is looking at the two groups, like it's the Pharisees and the Herodians, who hate each other. And he, he knows, her and he, he says to them, why, why are you testing me? Why are you putting me to the test? And I wonder how many times Jesus said this to me as I was sort of uh, auditing Christianity. You know, I spent so, so much of my, my early life sort of being opposed to the gospel and 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 only by my one friend asking me to go to church that I conceded under some pretenses that I, I wish I would have answered the question differently. And he said, hey, will you come to church for us? There's free pizza. And I said, yeah, no problem. I'll go under one condition. She promised never to ask me to go to church again. And he said, sure. And I immediately thought, "Ah, oh, I should have said, I, I, I should have said, hey, what I meant to say, JR, is I, I want to wear a T-shirt and I want to wear flip-flops. He's like, that's cool, man. the 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 pastor's an ex pro surfer. He'll be barefoot when he's preaching, and and uh, you guys can't tell what's a what waist below right now. So I might be bringing in the old the old style here. Um, and I can't figure out where I am in my notes here. They're they're hypocrisy. He's like, why are you testing me? How many of us test Jesus? You know, in our in our lives. How many of us are playing games with Jesus? How many of us are kind of Putting on a show, but we don't have any sort of conversion in our heart, no, no sense of real awe uh, for Christ and and what He's done. And so, my prayer is that I, through this situation that we're going through, for those of us who are church-going people, that we would stop playing games with God, and that we would get serious about our relationship with Him. And I hope that's what's happening to you while you're uh, in isolation. Jesus then says to them and he says, Hey, bring bring me a denarius to, to look at. And so they brought him one. Now, just in his question, so so right away dealing with with this issue of taxes, but below the surface here there is something a, a good respecting Jew would not carry a denarius because that's that's Rome's money. They would deal in shekels. And it would which had no images and and this, so having a denarius would would be an abomination. Jesus doesn't have it. Some have pointed out, like maybe it had to do with his his poorness. Maybe it had to do with his like he's not dealing in Roman coin. But quickly, they were able to, you know, pull pull a denarius out of their pocket, like a quarter, a dime, or something, and they toss it to Jesus. And Jesus said to them. Whose likeness and inscription is this? So he's you kind of get the he's looking at a quarter or not a quarter but a denarius, and he asks about the the likeness and the inscription. They are only they're only going to answer about the likeness. They don't answer about the inscription. Now it's been noted by Michael Card and a whole bunch of other people historically, but Michael Card says this. He says the image would have portrayed Tiberius who became emperor when Jesus was about 14 years old. The inscription would have claimed him to be a god, Tiberius Caesar, the divine Augustus. And so Jesus is looking at this coin that they're talking about paying the pull tax with, and he says, whose likeness and inscription is this? And so they, they respond to him, Caesar's. They say, oh, Caesar's image is on there. They don't say anything about the inscription that Caesar claimed to be God. Uh, And even in this discussion, the the Pharisees, this would be one that they would not be happy to be having the conversation with. The Herodians were fine with this conversation because they were hook, line, and sinker with, with the Roman authority. So now Jesus, here in this real dilemma, this real pickle, he said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And he says you know what the 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 coin has Caesar's image on it give it back to him it's his I think this is one that we're all really familiar with uh, you know it's it's April now this is normally the time when taxes are due although we have an extension um, and we use this verse to say you know as Christians we're supposed to we're supposed to pay our taxes um, if you if you have your Bibles um, go over to Romans chapter 13 and just sort of bookmark it over there and'm I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna Deal with that in a, in a little bit here, um, but in romans thirteen, which we 'll look at we 'll see that Paul begins to unpack what Jesus says about this coin, um, the, namely that the authorities have been placed there by god they have a they have a responsibility to protect protect the people that they 've been entrusted with, and so as it relates to the coronavirus i 've talked about the pickle, clearly we as a church we are um, because of Romans 13 in large part we're saying you know what we're 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 under the authority of our government our government is saying this is an epidemic a, a pandemic that we need to try to resolve it has nothing to do with religious persecution and so what we need you all to do is to stay home and to only go out for these particular reasons because we're trying to stop the spread and so e- even within our body there are conflicting opinions but the whole of the body has said we're going to yield to the government for conscience sake because that's what the scriptures have instructed us to do so so far and where we are Um, now the next phrase is the in this section is so neglected everybody knows render under caesar like this is this is a common vernacular in our in our society when we pay our taxes, when we do our stuff, it's like, hey, render unto Caesar. It's a, a common phrase. But Jesus didn't stop there. He goes on and he says, and to God, the things that are God's. Now, if Caesar's image and inscription are on the coin, where has God's image been impl- implanted? Where, where is God's image? What are we to render? Now, if you turn back to Genesis chapter 1 and the very beginning of God's revelation to us, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, this is what God writes as he's about to create humanity. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. We don't have time to go down the rabbit trail, but in the very beginning pages of the Bible, You see the triunity of God speaking to himself in the plurality nature. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so what Jesus says when he has this coin, and he flips it over. He says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render unto God the things that are God. You know what? God's image has been imprinted in your life according to scriptures, that that we bear his image. So he's saying, you give your money, give the things that are due Caesar to Caesar. But God has placed his fingerprints all over your life and who you are. And he says, give your life to God. Um, th- this, is, this is powerful. They were amazed at him. It says that they were amazed. It's kind of like they're saying, wow. We were just expecting a yes or a no. We weren't prepared for th- We didn't see that coming. Man, this guy is good. And immediately, they're going to transition. The Sadducees are going to come up with their whammo, gotcha question to Jesus. They think they have a good one about marriage in heaven, but we have to wait till next week to get there. And so the, the whole, the, so what? What do we do with this passage? First and foremost, as we look at this text, going back to his, uh, his entry into Jerusalem, his authority is being challenged. Right away, we see that Jesus' authority is is there? They they can't trip him up when he says, "Render unto, unto Caesar." I'd ask you to turn to Romans chapter thirteen. Um, I want to end in Romans. I should have bookmarked it while you guys were bookmarking yours. But over in Romans chapter thirteen, this is one of those passages that um, you know that God has used in my my life uh, that I've had to wrestle through. Uh, moving from being a Navy SEAL to becoming a Christian and then a pastor and sort of my early days in my Christian life grappling through, like, how how do I reconcile this whole being a Christian and, and, and really an agent of, of wrath for the government as a Navy SEAL? And so this is one of those passages that's very near and dear to my heart. But, but really, Paul is unpacking what, what Jesus said there to them about render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's and here he he writes every person is to be in subjection and this word subjection is a is a military term it's 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 the idea of rank and so we as followers of Christ are def- fall into rank the authorities are over us and we're to be in, in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from god and those which are, exist are established by God. And now before you start talking about how bad our government is right now, there are governments all around the world that are far more corrupt, that are evil. Um, and it's a far longer conversation than I can have right now dealing with how do we reconcile that. Um, but Paul wrote, Jesus explained also, un, under the midst of this government that would take both of their lives, that were doing very evil things and were attacking those who followed Christ, very literally. But here Paul writes, those authorities which are over us have been established by God, and so as you subject yourself to them, you're actually subjecting yourself to God. He goes on to say, verse 2, therefore whoever resists authority has Oppose the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, that's the authorities over us, the government, is a minister of God for your good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor whom honor. So when I look at this passage, especially in light of the coronavirus, it says for conscience sake, and I understand that some of this divide is over one person's conscience, like, hey, I think we should do it this way, and the other, I think I should do it this way. But here it's clear and for us, our response as a church, this was a very hard pill for me to swallow. I am as a red-blooded American that likes my freedom. Uh, I understand what the Second Amendment is there for, but it's like, you know what? God has placed the authorities over me trying to protect me. And so I'm going to yield as much as I don't like this because for my conscience sake, because this, what I believe at this point is what God has called us to do. I... Uh, Earlier this week, I think it was based on last Sunday. that You may have seen this in the newspaper, and I, I don't want to get into all the details. But there was a pastor that ignored the recommendation in Florida about having services, and he had to get arrested. So he was arrested, taken into custody. I'm not sure the whole process of the trial. But I saw a, a clip of, of the police chief that was responsible for arresting the guy, and and he was like, I... I don't want to arrest a pastor. Like, this is not what I want to do. We're trying to protect the people. We're trying to stop this, and people are dying. And it was real, like, to me, it was like, ah, why did the guy do that? You know, like I, and and again, I'm torn. Now, on the other side of the coin, as we wrap up here, in light of Romans 13, does, does Paul address this also? Now, if you'll go back a chapter to Romans chapter 12, and in Romans chapter 12, verses 1, and one, really, Paul in Romans 12, leading all the way to chapter 13, is dealing and unpacking this very issue that Jesus talks about. And so in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will prove what the will of God is—that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And as you work your way through Romans twelve, he talks about the difficulties that we go through, and and what does it look like? What offering our bodies, our lives, as as living sacrifices to God? The 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 other side of the statement that Jesus said, to render to God the things that are God. And so first and foremost, second to none, is this idea that we are to offer our lives and how we live them to God alone. Then in a distant second, we're to yield as we worship God, we're to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And so this is, this is a, a delicate balance. And we're to honor Caesar as, as best we can, as our minds allow. And when we start talking about rebelling against the authorities, which we do see in Scripture, it's when there's a clear violation of God's will. And often, historically, as we, you know, the very Bibles that, that we hold in our hands, that this, that they came to us through people who gave their lives resisting the authorities when the authorities were trying to, to quelch the word of God. And they said, you can take my life, burn me at the stake, throw me to the lion's den, I will not back down. Those are the times that we say, you know what, to the authorities, you're, you're overstepping the boundaries. But in today's situation and paying our taxes and isolating ourselves for a few weeks, we're honoring God by being good citizens to our neighbors. And so with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Father, I thank you uh, for the story of Jesus as he is, uh, as they attempted to trap him with the idea of submitting himself to Caesar. And Lord, he answered so masterfully in a way that we have so much to learn from. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom during these days, that you would give us wisdom in rendering under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, help us to honor you in honoring the authorities that have been placed over us. And, Father, as you also said, to, to render under God the things that are God, your word makes it very clear that you have placed your image upon our lives And so, Father, with our lives, we ask that you would help us to to offer them to you. Father, I pray that you would help us during this time of frustration, this time of fear, uh, this this time of unknowing what the future holds. Lord, we ask that you would uh, lead us and guide us and may your spirit give us wisdom so that we honor you in all that we do. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.